we're starting week two of Secrets. And before we get into that, I want to say thank you to everyone serving today. Really appreciate it. Let's give a hand for everyone who's serving and the worship team. It means so much. So many people are involved at Trinity helping us to each week to do our services, and it means so much. Um, also, welcome to our guests, of course. So Secrets is this series that we do annually where we like to tell the stories of our church members, their journey in life, the ups and downs, the, the, the challenges and the struggles, and how they found faith in Jesus and how their faith in Jesus has sustained them and helped them. And uh, we, we put these to video. So last week we started with uh, Gay. It was about a 10-minute video. This week we're going to be hearing from Zach, and it's about an eight-minute video. And then I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 23 that w- was just read to us. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, you're going to get a great insight into what it means to be a Christian. Uh, but also for all of us, we're going to be encouraged today, built up by Zach's story. So let's roll. My name is Zach Jarrett, 43 years old, native of Michigan, and I've been living in Chicago since 2007. I grew up in a Christian home. I was raised in the church by parents that love God. And so my faith is constantly changing because being immersed in the church and in Christian culture, you kind of inherit your parents' faith and then you have to figure out who God is to you or your special relationship with God, who you are in God's family. And that took me a long time because God had to test my faith He had to show me that there were things that I didn't need that didn't belong to me. They were other people's ideas. We grew up in a very isolated area, like out in the country, where the cornfields came right up to the house. And so boredom is a thing. So I didn't know how to distinguish the things I was feeling from just normal feelings. And because I didn't understand, my parents certainly didn't know what was going on with me or understand it. And so it took a lot of frustration and a lot of self-medicating to really get to a place of coming to terms with like all these feelings and emotions. So a struggle that sort of became apparent in my life as I grew up and became more self-aware was constant feeling of anxiety and isolation, lack of motivation. Early in my teenage years, I was diagnosed with depression, mild depression, and took medication for it and went to a Christian-based counselor to help talk about those things. But a lot of the symptoms that I was going through were because I was also using a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol as part of my social language, just hanging out partying trying to figure out who I was. And the, uh, the side effect of that was that it really exacerbated all the things that I had naturally dealt with as a kid. And so it just got to the point where eventually I repeated my senior year of high school twice and still didn't graduate. I think that it's hard to really even describe how the drugs and alcohol affected the problems that I was already having with depression because I didn't understand it. I didn't really have a name for it. And all of those things were just kind of intertwined. The things I was doing to myself and the things that I kind of brought to the table. And so I didn't have any way to really pick it apart. The other thing is is that 
I was still raised to be a very responsible person. I had a lot of guilt about showing up on time and doing what I said I was gonna do. And so I learned at an early age how to be a functional addict. Other than really choosing to fail school because I wanted to do other things because I had no interest in it, I still had two jobs. I had a paper route that I did seven days a week and worked in a restaurant. I had a car before I could drive. I had all kinds of expensive toys and savings. My parents were trying to teach me how to have money, what you could do with money. And so really, I got all the way through my late 30s as a functional alcoholic. And it wasn't really until I had some major panic attacks brought on by excessive drinking that I could really start to understand what anxiety was because I always heard people talk about it. And you see commercials for medication, and but to actually have a sense of dread and fear that's so powerful that you feel like you're gonna die. There's one time after three-day drinking binge with my couple of friends that I woke up and then just didn't feel right and just didn't know what was wrong. I just had this overwhelming sense that something bad was gonna happen. Now I can understand that I was having a panic attack, but it led to me going to the emergency room and just having a total breakdown. And they had to inject me with sedatives so that I could just sleep for a few hours. Because even though I've been up for days, my body was so on edge that I couldn't shut down. And I was just so under so much stress that they just had to knock me out so I could sleep. I remember very specifically a time after I had made, had what I would consider a real conversion, probably about 21 years of age, where I joined a, a men's prayer group and we were meeting regularly and like very excited about God and about worship and like discovering this like sincere worship and love of God. And like I prayed in this prayer group that God would shake everything in my life that needed to be shaken so that I would that stuff would fall away and in that fervor God eventually answered that prayer over the next 10 years and it was a very rocky ride because he did shake everything till I kind of came to the place that I am now feeling very much more mature and feeling like I understand my relationship with God now I understand how he loves me the thing about my relationship to God, the way that he's dealt with me, how he's helped bring me to a place in my life where I can trust him enough to put down the substances and not try to control everything has been interesting because I think that it's different for me than it is for obviously for anyone because God's been very patient with me. He's been poured out so much grace on me. He's allowed me to make so many dangerous mistakes, but he's kept me from hurting myself permanently and he's really demonstrated that fatherly love and that intense grace that says like, I'm not gonna control you. I'm gonna let you find out I'm gonna let you get as close to the edge as you can and maybe go over a little bit, but I'm not gonna let you fall. And I just have so much experience. My trust in God's love is just intense now because he's loved me in ways that even my earthly father, who is a great dad, is not capable of. He understands the way I'm made 
God does. I believe my experience of God is that he does make allowances for our personalities, for our shortcomings, and he has the patience to let us learn. And I guess for me, it was like figuring out how to use my free will to surrender to God. Like grappling with having the freedom to make choices, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, make the choices that are honoring to God because he has been so gentle with me. In spite of all the bad mistakes that I made, just wasting money and stuff, you know, he's really also brought me to a place of financial security. For someone who still has not graduated high school, I got a GED, I've taken some community college, I went to vocational school, but you know, on paper, I look like a dummy, but I'm in the best place I've ever been financially, and that's by seeking out good advice and following. Guys able to turn around a situation where 10 years ago I was in court for defaulting on all my student loans to being in a place now where I have about the same amount of money I owed in the bank. The thing I would like people to know about Jesus is that there is a loving Father out there, a source of wisdom, a source of comfort, who is available when you're ready to help you out of the situations of your life and that he understands who you are, he created you, and he loves you enough to walk with you. He's able to help you experience his love. I think he's able to help you understand why you are the way you are. Big thank you to Zach. Zach serving on the audio team at the back here. Let's give him another hand. Yeah. It's a powerful story. Um, if you liked Zach's story, in fact, we're looking to expand the audio team. So Zach and his wife, Allison, are serving on the audio team this morning. If you liked Zach's story, maybe you want to get to know him a little bit more, you can join the audio team. Zach talked about depression and anxiety. And I want to focus on that today. We're going to be expounding on Psalm 23, and I want to frame that with this subject matter of anxiety, uh, depression, and anxiety. And it went, for Zach, it went unrecognized. He talked about boredom as a child, talked about these issues he had, and his family didn't quite understand what was happening with him. He didn't understand what was happening with him until he was much older. And his eventual use of substances and uh, alcohol uh, exacerbated, made that worse. You know, we turned to these things to try and cope, to try and get relief from things we're suffering with and struggling with, but that made it much worse. This is a subject matter that we can't ignore. We have to talk about this issue. This issue, these issues, not just the substance abuse issues, but the underlying anxiety and depression that can lead to those things, these are far more common than we realize, perhaps even in our own hearts and our own lives. What is a definition of depression? technical definition of depression is this ongoing sense, ongoing feeling of sadness, of deep sadness, ongoing deep sadness. Everyone has sadness. Everyone can experience even deep sadness. But the difference with depression is that it's ongoing. You don't seem to get a break from it. Coupled with that can be this sense of a loss of interest in things and a loss of motivation. So it's hard to engage in things, even things that we typically love and enjoy and are interested in, we lose those sources of interest. It's estimated that about 15 million people in the U.S. suffer from a major um, uh, depressive disorder. It's also said that about 50% of people who say that they struggle with depression 
don't seek help for their feelings. Women are 70% more likely to struggle with depression. 30% of college students say that they feel depressed. I think that in, our, in this last year, with the pandemic, with all the lockdowns and all the things that have happened to us as a society, anxiety and depression are on the rise. Substance abuse is on the rise in dramatic ways. Even if we're not personally affected by this, we're still affected by it through proximity because we all know somebody who might struggle with this. And actually, we might go through something that causes us to struggle with this. So for myself, I can think about there's times in my life where I can look back and I can say, I'm almost certain, it was never diagnosed, but almost certain I was struggling with depression. And as a result, have turned to alcohol and other basically alcohol, more alcohol, to cope with that. I see that in my own life. But also, if that, if that wasn't technically depression, then in my immediate family had experienced depression firsthand as well. So I know I, I can personally relate to, to this idea that if, even if it's not personal, we, we, it still affects us in important ways and in, in significant ways. The relationship between depression and anxiety is very important to consider because anxiety is on the rise in our culture. You know, we're stressed, we're so stressed out, we're so on edge, and we're trying to medicate ourselves through that, which can help in some degree, but long-term anxiety leads to depression. That's one, of the, that's one of the interplays between it, that you get fatigued, you get worn out. You're so, so, so troubled and so worried about things that you end up losing that interest, losing that motivation, struggling in that way. What are some of the causes of depression? Before we get into unpacking Psalm 23, real quick, let me just frame this, continue to frame this for us. Several causes of depression. The first one is trauma. Something traumatic has happened to us, either in our childhood or even in, recent, in our recent past as adults. Serious illness is kind of another form of trauma, but if we struggle with serious illness, that can be a real source of depression. Unmet hopes. We want our life to work out a certain way, and it's not working out that way. It can lead us to deep, ongoing sadness. Living under expectations, whether that's expectations we put on ourselves or expectations that others have put on us can lead to these feelings. Biological disorders as well. Sometimes we just we come out and our hardwiring is just, we're just a bit predisposed in some regard to these things. That can be a thing. What about substance abuse, like Zach talked about? Either causing those issues or exacerbating them. And then the last one to mention would be a spiritual reason. And we have to understand as Christians, we're in a spiritual warfare, and the way that we feel directly comes from the thoughts that we have. If you haven't made that connection before, understand that that's the way that we operate. The way we feel about life and about things is directly related to the thoughts that we're having. And spiritual warfare happens in the thought realm. That's why Jesus is always attacking, you know, he fights spiritual warfare with the truth of Scripture. Can't blame the devil for everything, can't fall into that trap, but also we can't deny, can't deny that there is a spiritual battle and that part of our depression, part of our anxiety is actually sourced in those things as well. Now, people find a lot of comfort from the Psalms. People have turned to the Psalms throughout the ages to find a lot of comfort, and in particular, Psalm 23, written by King David, who was a scoundrel, although he's our favorite king, right? We love David. We think about David very fondly, total scoundrel, did some terrible things, but he wrote in a emotionally mature and deep way. He understood some things about God, and he understood things about himself and about humanity that we must understand and that we must enter into today. 
He starts off in verse 1 that my wife read. She read this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Here's the metaphor. God is a shepherd. The metaphor is this, that like a shepherd, we're taken care of. We're provided for. God guides us and he takes us to pastures and provides for our needs. And it says he leads us in paths of righteousness. That means for his namesake. So for his own glory, he helps us live out a righteous and good life that is, creates goodness in the world, but is for his ultimate glory. So we've got the shepherd who's guiding us and helping us. He's the, a great shepherd, a wonderful shepherd who's attentive, who's present with us, not distant. And then in the metaphor, we are, we are the sheep. So we have this great shepherd who's always with us, never lets us down. Then we're like the sheep. Sheep, as you understand, if you heard me talk about sheep before, as we've actually, I've, got, I've gone through Psalm 23 a few times in the history of our church. I just couldn't get away from it. I felt like this was the, the, the passage we needed for this sermon today, for Zach's video. Sheep are easily lost. They have no navigational skills. This is why it's a good metaphor for Christians. Sheep are defenseless creatures. They can, they can bite and snap a little bit, but it's not like it hurts, but it's not that bad. No poison, no claws. They can't run very fast. They're defenseless. They get easily hurt. Sheep cannot navigate themselves to sources of food. They eat poisonous things. They're easily attacked. The metaphor for sheep shepherd comes from the, real, the, the, the reality of parent to child. God is our parent, our father. We are his children. So the sheep shepherd metaphor is true also and helpful, but it's a parallel to the true reality of father and child that God knows best, that God's in control. One of the biggest lies about anxiety, about depression, one of the biggest lies about the sadness that we might feel and experience in life is that our lives don't matter, that no one cares, that no one, no one understands, no one's looking out for me. Those things, you know what? We're going to feel terrible. We're going to feel absolutely terrible if we're thinking those things. And those things are absolute lies. Because we've just read the truth of God's Word that tells us we have this attentive shepherd who leads us to pastures and provides for us and helps us. So, of course, we're going to feel awful if we're thinking these other thoughts that aren't true. We're going to be struggling. And but see, the problems we face in life, this is where, we, this is where we, we, we can get in trouble. The problems we face in life are not because of the shepherd. They're not the shepherd's fault. Like sheep, what happens? Sheep go astray. And like sheep, we go astray, each to his own way. We turn. We think we know best. We want to control our lives. We think we understand the best direction for our lives or the best outcome or the best things that we should have. Or We don't, we don't realize we're wrestling against God at times, but also we don't realize that this world is a dark, terrible place full of evil and corruption and that we're in that place, that God will restore and renew and heal all things, but that hasn't happened yet. So there's this mixture of good and evil, and sometimes we experience the evil, but we've got this good shepherd who's with us. And part of our sadness, part of our struggle comes from this idea that we're failing to see the goodness of God. We're failing to see the greatness of our shepherd. We're struggling with wrong expectations in life. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The word want there means lack. I shall not lack. 
It means because God is in control, because God provides for me and meets all my needs and knows exactly what I need and can satisfy me perfectly, he's got a plan to perfectly meet all my needs and satisfy me. Isn't that wonderful? God should be more concerned about his own glory, which he is. He's more concerned about that. But even in that concern, God says, I know what you need. I know you're fragile and weak, and I'm going to meet your need. And I've, got, I've got a plan to satisfy you more than anything else can satisfy you. And in the midst of all that, though, and David's figured out, because of that, I won't have any lack. But the problem with the sheep is sheep can be stubborn, and we can think to ourselves, well, I, I know what I want, I know what I need, and we get fixated on things. And we, we suffer from this idea that the grass is greener. The grass is greener somewhere else. It can make us angry. It can lead to more anxiety, more depression. And we're living in a culture of comparison. I mean, you know, social media, if you haven't figured it out yet, the more social media we consume the more mental health problems we have. Hopefully you figured that out. That it, living in such comparison with other people, getting constant messaging of the world all the time, it's going to make you feel awful. It's going to make you feel terrible. It's going to make you feel disgusting because our feelings are derived from our thoughts. And if we're getting bombarded with all these wrong thoughts, well, of course we're going to feel terrible. We're not going to come to the truth of God's word that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not well, but we can get angry, so we say, well, well my career isn't working out, my, my pathway in life, my, my work, my career, I'm not really in the place I should be, and so I'm, I'm not happy with that. My finances aren't working out quite the way I'd, not in the place financially I want to be, so I'm kind of frustrated at that. Status, I don't have the status I want, I don't have the, don't have the recognition that I want. I've done some big things, and I should get more recognition for it. I don't have the relationships that I want. I, I should be more connected, or more networked, or have more friends, or have a particular romantic relationship. I, I should be married. Or I should have a better marriage or a different spouse. I should have a child or more children. Or man, I need to get rid of my children. <laughs> see, see, it's, it's the prophecy. All the things that we want, sometimes you end up getting to the point where you, I got the thing I want and now I want something else. Or I don't want the thing I have. I want a bigger apartment. I want to own property. I need a bigger property. I need a different property in a different location. David understands this amazing truth. I don't lack anything. Because God is my shepherd, I do not lack a thing. A lot of the trouble in my own life, like when I observe my own life and I think about myself, a lot of the turmoil and problems and disappointments I've had have been because of this misplaced and misguided sense of what I think I should have and what I'm striving for and what I'm aiming at. What we've got to understand is this. God knows best. God understands what we need. He can satisfy us more than anything else. But also, the difficulties that we face, God is intentionally taking us through them. So in verse 4, David talks about the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death can be translated the valley of deep darkness. That's another way to render the translation. This is a real thing from David's life. This isn't just a metaphor. It is a metaphor. He's using it as a metaphor. But it's, it's a real thing from his life. So he was a shepherd boy taking care of his household's flock, his father's flock. And if you know anything about shepherding, you have to take sheep to different sources of food. And or they get lost, they go off, and you've got to go get them back. But there's, there's different reasons you travel around with the sheep. But one of the things in the area of Judah that David lived in, there are these valleys. And there are areas where at certain points in the day, especially obviously in the nighttime as well, but where they're pitch black. 
there are dark shadows, there's caverns, there's walkways through, um, and, and you can't see, you have to know the terrain, you have to know the way through in order to get through, and you're, you're in danger from bandits, from robbers, you're in danger from uh, flash floods, you're in danger from the terrain itself and obstacles, you're in danger from predators. It's a very dangerous experience to go through, but to get the sheep from point A to point B, it is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. There's no way around it. You have to go through the valley. And this is the beautiful thing about the imagery of God being our shepherd, is that we hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice, and they feel his staff. The, the rod of the shepherd comforts the sheep. So this is one of the most comforting things. You, it's, it's pitch black ahead of me. I can't see the direction. I'm a sheep. That can't, I can't see the direction. I don't know the terrain. I'm kind of useless at this navigating business. But I've got this good shepherd who is always with me, who can guide me and navigate me perfectly through all of the challenges, through all the dark, all the dark valleys that, that I have to go through in this life because we live in this fallen, dark world that's broken. And God is with us every step of the way. And so we feel the nudge of the staff of the shepherd and we hear his voice speaking to us. But like sheep, we can be stubborn, can't we? <laughs> Sometimes we stop. We won't move. Sometimes we go to the left and go to the right and we're just like, no, that's dangerous that way. Sometimes we need to go to the left and right because what's ahead is, is dangerous. And you know what good shepherds have to do? They have to get a little louder. And they have to be a little more firm with their rod. But that firmness, see, uh, the, goal of, the role of the sheep is to understand if the shepherd's getting louder and if, if the staff feels a little firmer, he's got my best interests at heart. You know, I, this, this, this allegory works also. I think about my own life. think about, you know, there are shepherds in my life. You know, that's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. So I think about my own life times where I've been stubborn or veering off in directions I can't foresee what's going to happen and other people with greater wisdom can see you're heading in a bad direction here and, and there's gentleness and guidance but then if I'm not paying attention to it, not really receiving, then the voice gets louder or it, the instruction is a bit firmer and, and my role in that moment as a sheep is to understand I need to listen to the higher wisdom. It's like my relationship with God. Now, humans never do it perfectly. We don't quite get it exactly right, but God does it perfectly with us. And if we're actually struggling with this, if we're striving, if we're downcast because we're not happy with the direction of things or we feel like God's dominating us in certain ways that we're not happy with, the reason we're struggling with those feelings is for this very reason that we've misunderstood our role and the dynamic between our relationship between us and Jesus, that he's in the shepherd position and we're in the sheep position and we're trying to operate in the shepherding position when we're in the sheep position. And the truth is this, is that the good shepherd is so good, he never makes a mistake, he never gets it wrong, he never harms us. In fact, he rescues us. And that rod is comforting. You know, if you can't hear God's voice, and you're not sure if, if the rod is moving you in one direction or another, maybe take that as a sign that you're going in the right direction. Still good to check it with some other people because, you know, we're not the source of wisdom and understanding. So still good to say, like, God, you know, help, lead, help give me wisdom through, through those around me, trusted believers and mature Christians who can help me with wisdom and direction in my life. But also, don't you know, trust that if God needs to get you in a certain position, he's going to make it clear. And then it's up to us to respond. How do we respond to the direction of the shepherd? So if we're specifically struggling with anxiety and depression, how do we get free? How do we make progress in this area? 
We've got to go back to those, those, those things I listed, the sources, the, the, the things that cause it. And we have to figure out what is the cause of these feelings I have and how do I respond to it. So if it's something like trauma, you face some kind of trauma in your life. You've been abused, you've been abandoned, you've been, you had something shocking happen, you lost a loved one, something very terrible. You know, th th there's no other way around it. Then you have to enter that valley. You have to go through that valley. You have to face that trauma. You have to go back and revisit that trauma and try and get freedom, try and find forgiveness, try and find, try and allow the truth of God's word to actually properly frame it for you so you can fully understand all that was happening through that circumstance. You, I, I, I hesitate to say face your trauma because we live in a day and age where we've, we've become more emotionally aware and mature. I think in the Christian world, we, we we're not necessarily as afraid of that as we used to be. But now culturally, we're moving to a point where trauma trumps everything. And I'm not exactly sure, I'm trying to find the words to describe this, but what we can't do is, so, so what we have to do is we have to be compassionate and understanding to, for each other's troubles that we faced and the difficulties we faced because those things are so painful. But we can't be so sensitive that we can't say to, to each other, how are you going to face that? Because you know, you know ultimately you have to. You have to. There's no other way. There's no other way. God can heal it. It doesn't have to take that long even. But it's like peeling off the Band-Aid. It's like it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's like saying, actually, you know, with serious illness, that was the second one I mentioned earlier on. Serious illness, that's another type of trauma. Your identity can become shaped by your, by your illness even. And it, it can be traumatic. I think... I think you know, good biblical Christian counseling can really help. Zach mentioned that he had done counseling. My wife and I, we've had counseling. I've had counseling. Different. I think everyone should try some counseling every so often. It's pretty helpful. You don't have to, but I think there can be, if you find the right person, I think there can be real benefit to it. God gives counseling gifts. The Holy Spirit's a counselor. You know, it's a wonderful thing, but you've got to peel back the, the layers. You've got to, if you've got unmet expectations, you've got to learn to surrender those things to God. To say, why, why is it that I'm striving? I think these things will satisfy me and I'm not content with what I have, with the place that God has me in right now? How can I learn to be more content? We've got, we're living under expectations. We've got to go on, on, on a personal journey, peel back those layers and figure out what, why is it that I'm living under these expectations? I'm trying to be something I can't be. Why is that? If it's a biological disorder of some type, we, you know, we've got to take some ownership over the, the research and talking to doctors and trying to figure out, is there something I can do? Is there, is there medication that could help me? That's a, a valid direction for some people. If it's substance abuse, we've got to face the reality that that's an addiction. We've got to treat it, respond to it. Like I have, I'm, I'm, I'm an addict. I've got some kind of addiction. I've got to face it in that way. If it's spiritual, we might need people to pray over us. We might need to repent. It might be that we've allowed something into our life, sin into our life in a way that we've got to free ourselves from. Three common things, all of these responses, the, th the, three, the three common things about all those are that we've got to let God in first and foremost. We've got to let God into these things. We've also got to let other trusted Christian, mature Christians into these things. The third thing is this, that other than letting God in and letting other people in, we, we have to take more ownership of the process. It's so easy to paste the blame and I've done this, you see, when I've had my misguided aspirations and desires, when I've not, I had my wants in the wrong place, blamed other people, blamed God, blamed myself. We have to get to that place where we're 
we're getting rid of those excuses. We're eliminating those excuses and we're realizing I've got to take the step forward. Now, the problem with depression and anxiety is you can lack so much motivation. You can say, I just don't have the energy to take a step in the right direction. Or like, I'm just stuck in this cycle. If today, if there's anything today that is a spark that lights a fire in you, anything that God is doing today that's, that's a little bit of motivation, take that today. Um, do something today. Talk to somebody. Make a decision today. Use that bit of motivation today to position yourself to get yourself in the pathway to getting freedom from it. Because you know what? Today, is Zach, Zach who shared his t- secret, is he perfect? He'll tell you and his wife will tell you, no, not perfect. She's agreeing with me. Not perfect. But is he free from what he used to struggle with? Yes. Doesn't mean there aren't future struggles. Doesn't mean there aren't ups and downs. But is he free? Yes. You can be free. You can live a different life. But it's only in Jesus. It's only letting God in, letting others in and saying, I've I've got to... You can become an advocate. If you're in a strong emotional place, you can become an advocate for somebody who's struggling. But the problem is you can want it so badly for them that you take away the responsibility and the ownership they need because ultimately we have to take those steps ourselves towards God. God is inviting us, calling us to respond. We have to take those steps towards him. The last verse here, verse 6, it says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness shall follow me. Now, this, this is a big clue. It's talking about the shepherd, and then he ends up saying, goodness is going to follow me. Well, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. Now, it's, so the understanding is that Jesus is our shepherd. This was written thousands of years before Christ, of course. Now, it's the good shepherd who's following us. That doesn't mean only good things will happen to us, because earlier on it was saying we go through the valley of the shadow of death. So in the same passage you have, you're going to be in the valley but also there's going to be goodness following you. Both happen. There's a plenty amount of goodness in our lives because God's with us, but even in the darkest moments, the presence of the goodness of God is still with us. But it says mercy is going to follow us all the days of our life. Why does mercy have to follow us around? Mercy is the shepherd, is Jesus. Why does that have to follow us around? Because we fail, because we sin, because we error, because we're weak. Because we make all kind of terrible mistakes all the time. Just like David himself made terrible mistakes, awful, sinful mistakes. And mercy has to follow us around. There's no other hope than you have a permanent, the permanent presence of mercy in your life following you around all the days of your life to extend that radical grace and that forgiveness of your sins to you. And the only way it happens is through the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. That substitution on the cross. The Father allowing the Son, sending the Son to be crushed and destroyed so that we could live forever, so that we could be free forever. That's the exchange. That's the sacrifice of Jesus for the eternal life that we receive in Him. Let's have the band come up. We want to respond in worship. We want to celebrate Jesus. And it says, the very last phrase in this verse, it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you don't know Jesus today, we want to invite you to dwell forever with us in God's house. If you need prayer today, you, want to be, you say, I need to be baptized, or I want to follow Jesus for the first time, or I want to take a next step, I want to respond in some way, I want to get involved in some way, respond to us. You can do what, what Raquel was talking about. You can text the word ENJOY to 94000 to 94000. Text that, and we want to help you make that response today. It's important that we don't just hear these things, but we say, how do I live this out in my life? How do I respond to this in 
my life. We're going to dwell together. You know, we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord together forever, but we're in the house of God right now too, which means the feelings of being alone, the feelings of being insignificant, the feelings of things, our life not going the right way, those depressive, anxious feelings, God can set us free. And I pray today that God will set you free.